Welcome to the Gathering Chattanooga's audio resources. This message is part of a teaching from the Gospel of Mark. For more information on the gathering or to find additional resources, visit gatheringchattanooga.com. Again, that's gatheringchattanooga.com. And please consider subscribing to this podcast. We hope you enjoy and that God blesses you richly through the teaching of His Word. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. We yeah, thanks. I wasn't demanding that. I just was like, aren't we glad to be here, right? You know, as I was thinking through this and uh, this new year that we're in, y'all remember way back to 2019? Feels like about 10 years ago. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone was so excited for 2020. You know how cool that was going to be, right? 2020 is like a new decade. It's like the year of vision, you know? Like the rebirth of the roaring 20s, some were saying, even. Turned out to be a horrible year, didn't it? One of the most globally challenging years that probably anyone's ever experienced, certainly in our lifetime. And then fast forward with me to the end of 2020 as the new year approached and the memes started cranking out go read some pretty good 2021 memes my favorite my personal favorite was the one that says i don't usually stay up until midnight but i am this year not so that i can welcome in the new the uh, new year but so i can make sure the old one leaves right <laughs> it's like that was awesome posted that probably a few times we were so ready to see that zero turn into a one weren't we from 2020 to 2021, you know, in 2020, we felt hopeless and, uh, you know, that there would ever be a time for us to get back to any sort of normalcy. We felt helpless. People talked about the new normal where nothing would ever be the same again. Again, But by the end of the year, we started to get a glimmer of hope, right? That we could get back to some kind of normalcy. There were talk of the, the, uh, the vaccines and there's all of this talk about, hey, maybe we can get rid of this virus and 2021 is going to be hopeful. We actually stopped to consider, hey, can things be different than they are? Can 2021 be hopeful In desperation, we were ready to get to midnight. We were excited to see the one pop up. 2021. And there it was. I think it kind of sounds silly, I guess. I mean, everything's going to be different now because it's a new number. Because things have changed. But based on what we've been through, I mean, it's reasonable for us to be ready for a fresh start. It's ready. We're ready to see something else. We couldn't wait to get here. Of course, you know there's nothing powerful in a number. There's nothing that changes because we go from one number to another, one year to another. We know that a new year doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be okay or better. For the last couple of weeks, I've tried to remind us, hey, 2021 could be worse. We don't know. It lays outside of our vision, outside of our realm of knowing So the question then is what could make it so that a one is significant? 
What could it be about this year that is life-changing? A year full of hope, promise that 2021 will be better than 2020, where the zero was strangely appropriate because it seemed like there was nothing good that happened in that year. We look back and just challenges. That's what chapter 5 is all about. It deals with hopelessness, lost causes, and what could change, what could make it better, what could bring about significance, what could make the one matter. And if we look at this idea of lost causes in chapter 5, we see it back from the demon-possessed man that we looked at last week. This man that no one could help. There was no one who could do anything for him. And so he, he was relegated to the cemetery we had, where he had to live among the dead and not among the living. And this week we look at a woman who has a bleeding, a chronic bleeding issue. That eventually, because the doctors have done all they could, the medicine couldn't help her. She ends up worse than she was. And so there's really no hope for her ever to get better then to a 12-year-old little girl who is beyond hope as well. She's a matter of minutes away from death's door. It's hopelessness. From a human perspective, there was no hope for these three people. Besides being hopeless, the only other thing that all three have in common is they had an encounter with the one. I want to approach this a little differently today, this story. You've, you've heard it read already. And I could take this passage and I could break it down and I could find those few significant things that are really good and I could give you, you know, one, two, three, or one, two, three, four, maybe a poem throwing in just to, to give you a well-rounded sermon. But this text is, this story is, is beautiful narrative. It's a great story and, and it is an account of something. So I want us to try to preserve that narrative feel today and try to to kind of tell the story. Hopefully bringing out some of the elements that I think we need to hear, especially for those who are in in a place where you feel hopeless. Maybe a place where you feel helpless. You've gone through something and you believe it can never change. It can't be any better than it is, so... I might as well just hang on for the ride. Or who believe that there's no way that Jesus could love you. That Jesus could forgive you. I think this story is for you. So prominent in Mark so far is crowds. Because everywhere Jesus goes, there are crowds. And so that's where this story really begins. But the story really, of course, begins a day or so earlier with the crowd. Jesus is teaching on the western side, the Capernaum side of the seashore, the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And so the crowd is sitting there. Jesus is in a small boat and he's teaching. And then, of course, there are so many, they're looking and they're seeing what's going on. All of a sudden, Jesus stops teaching and he gets from a smaller boat to a bigger boat. And now that boat, along with some other boats, sail away, heading over to the eastern side. And the crowd's left going, what just happened here? Where'd he go? 
Why, why is he leaving? We want, to, we want to hear more. We want to experience more of what he did. We want to see more healing. We want to see more teaching. There's this man who is teaching about a kingdom, a new kingdom of hope. Have we missed our chance to hear him? Is he coming back? But they wouldn't have to wait too long. Because only a day or so later, on the horizon, here he comes again. Someone apparently spotted the boats coming because by the time he gets there, the crowd has returned and they are anxiously awaiting him. And by the time he gets on the ground, here they are. They're, they're there. And the crowd is, is clearly pressing up to see him. And I'm sure that in that crowd, there are many people who are dealing with difficulties. Everybody deals with difficulties and challenges in their life. But there are two people in particular who are dealing with more than just challenges. These are people who are dealing with hopelessness. They are people who are dealing with despair. And when you deal with despair, quite often desperate things happen. And these people are at a place where they are ready to throw all caution to the wind. One is a man who is an official in the synagogue. He is a lay person who is responsible for taking care of all of the things that happen within the synagogue. He would be respected among the Jewish people, and yet he's prepared to throw caution to the wind, take off all pretense, all mask. I don't care. I'm going to him. I'm going to beg him because I am at a place of desperation. My child is laying at death's door. While on the other side somewhere, there is a lady who is saying, no one, has, uh, no one else has been able to help me. This man, I believe, I've seen him, I believe that he can help me. And they begin to press in through the crowd. If this man, if this one couldn't or wouldn't help them, then all was lost. It was going to be literally a matter of life or death. Well, in spite of the huge crowd, he actually was able to make it through. And he was even able to convince the healer to go with him, to leave the crowd behind and go with him to his house to heal his daughter. He who was, who was hopeless and in despair all of a sudden had this, this, up, this upturning feeling of hope because the healer was going to do something. He was going to go with him. But then all of a sudden he stops in his track. Something had happened. We're going along. We're ready to get there. We're going to save my daughter. Now something's happened. And he begins to turn and to look around. And his attention goes off of the man and onto something that he can't see. Why did he stop? I mean, can't you imagine what would be going through this father's mind? This father who is desperate for his daughter. He gets, and now all of a sudden, the healer's attention has turned and it probably won't come back to him. Could be that his chance is gone. Why did he stop? Where's he going? Somebody touched him. What? Everybody touched him. They're all around him. Even his own disciples think he's crazy. What are you saying? Somebody touched you? I mean, seriously? Really? Yeah. Yeah, somebody touched you. We need to go. My little girl cannot wait. 
But Jesus was insistent. Something had just happened. Something has stolen away his attention. And all of that hope that was bubbling up inside of him quickly began to fade. And he believed that all was going to be lost. He had lost his chance. Of course, she knew that there was no way that he would ever touch her. Nobody had touched her at all in over 12 years. And so her only chance, the only possibility, the only hope that she had was going to be if she could touch him, if she could just get close enough just to touch the edge of his garment. It was a large crowd. There was, everybody was, nobody's going to notice that, right? I mean, they're pushing and they're shoving and, and he's there and I could just, just kind of reach in and just, just touch his garment and I'll be healed. I mean, she had heard of this before. There had been legends about magical healers who, if you touch the hem of their garment, then, then you can be healed. Well, she knew something was different about this one. This wasn't legend. She had heard firsthand accounts and she believed that he could heal her. She believed that there was something that can happen if she could just get close enough. And if she could push through the crowd, it would be relatively easy to do. Except now he's on the move. Now he's walking away. And so now her her strategy had to change. It had to go from just getting up close to now I've got to go around and try to find out where he's walking so I can make sure that I'm at that point. When he gets there, then I can reach out and I can touch him. And at the instant that her finger brushed along the material, something happened. Within her body, she knew Something changed in that moment when it touched. It happened in my body. What had happened? Healing happened. And I know that it happened. And at the same time, the exact same time, Jesus stopped in his tracks. And he stood up straight. He knew what had happened. He knew exactly what had happened. He just didn't know to whom it happened. You see, all the power of the triune God dwells within him. And Jesus has access to that power as the person of the Son. But in that moment, something happened that he didn't do. And what is left is the sovereign Father looked at this woman and in that moment sovereignly chose to bless her, to heal her, to express his love to her by honoring the faith of this woman through the person of his son. And Jesus could have just moved on, right? It happened. He, could have, he knew it happened. He didn't do it per se, it was more passive, and he could have moved on. But the power wasn't enough. He wanted to see her. He wanted to find her. He wanted to lock eyes with her, to know her. He wanted to know her personally. And he wanted her to know that he saw her. 
He wanted her to know that she was important. He wanted her to know him. See, she had experienced the power of God. He wanted her to experience the love of God. He wanted to put it all together. To know that she mattered to him. And he didn't just glance behind him. The way the Bible is written, it tells us, gives us the idea that Jesus started looking for her and he kept on looking. He kept on looking for her until he found her. You see, he was determined to find the one to whom the father had just healed. So he's looking, he's like, is, is that the one? That, you know, he's, he's trying to find it's not that one until he finds her. See, that's the love of God for his children, for his sheep. He doesn't just love the flock. He loves the flock. But he loves and he cares for every little lamb in the flock. Nobody escapes his attention. Nobody gets away. Nobody gets lost in the crowd. And now here she is knowing that she's going to be discovered because he's not stopping. I mean, it's, it's somebody would have seen her. Somebody is going to tell him that it was her. So she knows she's going to be found out. And she knows what she's done. It wasn't that she touched his garment. It's that she's come into the midst of this crowd unclean. She's not supposed to be there. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And she knows that the consequences are going to be severe. So she decides, I might, as well, I might as well tell everything. And so she comes and she falls down before him on her face. And she's trembling. She knows that this is going to be bad. And she decides, though, I'm going to tell him the truth. And she braces for his reprimand. But what she heard next was unexpected. Rather than rep reprimanding her reckless action, Based on shaky theology at best, he honored her reckless faith and he put her on solid ground. You see, Jesus takes the imperfect faith of imperfect people and he makes them perfectly fit for his kingdom of hope. It's all his work. He does it. He takes the imperfect faith of imperfect people and he makes them perfectly fit for his kingdom of hope. And then he started to talk to her. And when he started by calling her daughter, she was stunned. She would be absolutely stunned. That's, that's the farthest thing that she can imagine would come out of his mouth in that moment. She, he called her daughter. A daughter is a child, right? A daughter is loved and cared for. He called her daughter. And then he said something else, and this is very significant. He said, your faith has saved you. He didn't say your faith has healed you. He said, your faith has saved you. And it, it is clear that he meant something more than physical healing because the next thing he said was, go in peace and be healed from your affliction. This woman had fought through a crowd in hopes of finding relief for her body. 
But when she encountered the one, she left having received relief for her soul. She had exposed Jesus to uncleanness, ceremonial uncleanness. And Jesus caused her to walk away clean. This was his mission. His mission was to take the sins of the individual and replace it with his own righteousness. So at that moment, while they're still talking, this is still going on. This interaction with this woman is still happening. This anxious father who just witnessed everything happen received the news that he hoped and hoped and hoped beyond hope he wouldn't get. A group of people started walking to him and maybe it was like one of those moments when a service family, someone who is in the the family of someone who is in the armed forces and they're off at war when they see the chaplain walking down the sidewalk. Maybe it's something like that. He knew they were coming from his house. And so they're walking towards him and he's probably in his heart saying, no, no, no. But they come to him and they say, your daughter's dead. It's over. All hope was gone. Sure, Jesus could heal, but this is on a whole different level. They'd seen him heal. But we're talking about raising from the dead. Jesus had waited too long and there was nothing that could be done. But while they're still talking, the people from the house are talking to the man. Jesus finishes his conversation as the, the woman walks off cleansed. And he hears what's going on and he walks over and I can see him standing right in front of the man, getting his full attention, walking right up and saying, don't be afraid, only believe. It's as if he said to to him, hey, don't listen to them. You focus on me. Don't worry about what they're saying. Forget it. Right here. You keep your gaze here. You believe in me. And I think that may have possibly served as a reminder to the apostles who were listening to all this because just a day or so before they had been on the sea and in a boat and the waves and the wind were crashing and the the boat was in danger of sinking and they were terrified. They were afraid. They were giving up hope. And Jesus gets up and he stands up and he causes the wind and the waves to be still for the water to be glassy and the wind to be gone. And he says, why are you afraid? Don't you, don't you believe yet? And they were like, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? But here, Jesus takes those exact words and he turns them around as, as words of encouragement for this hurting father. He turns it around and he says, don't be afraid. Only believe. See, Jesus chose to step into this daddy's pain and love him through it. He got in the midst of it. He stepped right into the man's face. He gets into his pain. And he loves him. And he is the only one who could do that. Jesus only allowed Peter and James and John, his inner circle, to see what would happen next. So when they get to the house, the paid professional mourners had already started. 
See, everybody in that day was expected to have paid professional mourners when someone in the family died. And so if you were poor, you might have one. You had to have at least one, maybe one or two. If you were more prominent like this, this official of the synagogue, you probably had more. So Jesus walks in to a house with probably several people who are wailing and mourning and they're leading the whole household in a time of just brokenness and they're doing what they're doing. This is their job. This is what they're good at. And Jesus walks in and says, hey, why are y'all doing this? And I'm sure they looked at each other, dumbfounded, as to say, well, surely he knows we're doing it for the paycheck. But then he says, the girl's not dead, she's asleep. And now their wailing of tears has turned into wailing of laughter. Now they're mocking him. They're making fun that he would be so dumb and to do something like this. They mocked him. And you know, everybody has to deal with professional mockers at some time, don't they? People who, <laughs> everything that comes out of their mouth is negative. Everything that comes out of their mouth is, is pointing to, to what can't be done. They're always questioning and doubting and causing us to, to wonder about our faith in the impossible. And this family was certainly no different there. But notice their disbelief. Their disbelief prevented them from experiencing a movement of grace and power from the one. They missed it because Jesus locked them out. He wouldn't listen to them and he refused to let this man and his wife listen to them. And his words, words echoed again, don't be afraid, believe. See, only those who believe were allowed into the room that day. So Jesus goes into the room. They shut the door. Peter, James, and John, the mother, the father, in the room with him. The dead girl laying over on the bed. And Jesus walks over to her and he takes her by the hand yet again, exposing himself to ceremonial uncleanliness. And he says to her, get up, little girl. Get up. And says she just got up and starts walking around as to demonstrate, you know, this is not a zombie. This is, you know, not the walking dead. She's walking around. She's alive. Jesus has done the impossible and her parents are speechless. The thing that no one believed could be done had been done. The girl was alive. And not only had Jesus blessed the girl with life, he demonstrated his love and his compassion for this little one by telling them to get, telling them to get her some food because she's hungry. Jesus cares about the details of life. He cares about the little things in life. For those who are his, there is nothing that is too insignificant for him. And for those who are his, they remain his. And so the care is always there. So after holding their baby girl like she'd never been hugged before, those parents were ready to shout it from a mountain of what the one had done for her, for them. But then he strictly tells them not to. Sternly tells them not to. As strong words there. Do not tell anyone what just happened. And you kind of have to wonder why. 
I mean, it was only a day ago he was, he threw the demon out of the man and the man wanted to follow him. And he says, no, 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 you stay here. And I want you to go to your house and the people around you. And I want you to tell them everything. I want you to tell them everything of how the Lord has blessed you. And now a day later, he does something. He raises somebody from the dead and he's telling the parents, don't tell anybody. Parents, how would you take that one? Now, why, why would he do that? Well, I'm not sure. But the day before, he was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He was in a Gentile region. And the one thing we know is that the Gentiles were not expecting a military savior to come and release them from the Romans. That was not their tradition. That was not what they had been told. But on the western side, in the Capernaum, the region of Capernaum, they were. And so maybe it had to do with the audience. Maybe this man had been sent as a missionary to the Gentiles in that time. And Jesus was called to the house of David. And so maybe that's it. Maybe it was because Jesus withheld the revelation from those who rejected him. They expected nothing and they got nothing in return. Maybe it's why when he walked into the house, he said, she's only asleep. Because if she walks out, and they, they, they're like, please, she's dead. But if she comes out and then they, they look, huh, maybe she was only asleep. Maybe we're not quite as good as we thought we were. Then there wouldn't be quite as much, as much questioning. But regardless, that's where we leave the story. That's the end of it. So what do we glean from this story? What are some things that maybe we need to consider, some insights that maybe the Lord has for us as we think about this incredible story? Well, I think for starters, what we see from the story is a Savior who is concerned with the ones, not just the masses. Where we see crowds of nameless faces, Jesus sees you. He cares for you. He knows what is hurting you. And he is ready to step into your life in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your absolute hopelessness feeling. And heal you and make you whole. We see in the story that he is not so busy that he's not willing to stop and invest in your life. To look you in the eye so that you will know him and that you'll know that he knows you. Because he wants to get personal in your life. Not to be some distant image up on a stained glass window where we look at a cross and we remember Jesus. But Jesus who stepped into this world and steps into your life and he meets you where you are. Think about that. A man who was possessed by a demon, he goes all the way across the Sea of Galilee and he ministers to that one man. Why? Because he loved him and he left. And he comes back. And one man out of all these crowds who is desperate for his daughter, Jesus, stops 
And he's prepared to go to that man's house, an individual in an individual's house. And in the same time and at the same time, one woman who had nothing, she had spent it all. One woman who had no hope because no one had been able to heal her. One woman who was unclean and wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. Jesus stops and looks into her life. He steps into her life and he makes an impact in her life and he changes it completely. He steps in to meet your needs according to what is best, but to heal your soul and transform your life. We learn that he's never late and the situation is never hopeless. So don't be afraid, just believe. Think about it. Jesus was faced with two desperate situations at exactly the same time. And he took care of both of them. He dealt with it. He has that power. He has that ability. He loves you and he cares for you. So listen closely so that his voice is so loud that it cannot be drowned out by the naysayers, by the negative, by those who don't believe, by the professional mourners doing all that they can to distract you, to, en to encourage you, to despair during the hard times that will come. They're going to come. Everybody gets them. Some are more desperate than others. Some are more difficult than others. But they're going to come. And there are going to be voices that speak into your life that say there, there's no hope. Push them aside. Lock them out. And you look at Jesus and you listen to his voice. And we learn that this is the one the one who died on a cross to demonstrate his endless love for you. He's the one who sacrificed his life for you to save you. And he's the only one who could do that. So don't be afraid this year. Don't be afraid of what's coming around the corner. Don't, don't be afraid of how things are going to turn out but instead, I hope that every time you see those numbers, wherever they are seen this year, 2021, I hope that you'll look at that last number and remember the one who gives you hope through it. Remember that that is the one who loves you. That is the one who speaks into your life. That's the one who cares for you. That's the one who is God, the Lord. He's sovereign over the wind and the waves, and he's sovereign over the winds and the waves of your heart. So don't be afraid. Only believe believe in the one. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about The Gathering, or if you would like to hear more, please visit gatheringchattanooga.com. Mm -hmm.